Hello and welcome to TC39ers. This is your host, Heymond, and with us today we have Luca from the Dino Land. Of course, a TC39 delegate. Welcome to the show, Luca. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about what interested you in tech. What brought you into the tech world? Yeah, that's a great question. I, it's, it, it's, I don't know. I think like six or seven years ago. Um, well, actually, no, the, the tech world or programming? Because the tech world started a long time ago. Um, I, I, I got like a computer uh, very young and I started and like I had Windows 7 on it. Actually, I originally had Windows Vista on it. Um, and at some point, uh, I managed to upgrade it to Windows 7 when I was like, I don't know, must have been like 10 or 11 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point around that time, uh, one of my school friends, um, who is like this, I don't know, crazy Uber nerd, um, had told me about batch scripts on Windows. Um, and so I went home that day and and like tried playing around with batch scripts, which are like shell scripts on Windows, right? And like, they're completely terrible. Like you can't do anything useful with them other than like uh, get some inputs and 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 um, make, get some very simple outputs from that. And that was like my first uh, experience with like programming as such. And I always really enjoyed that. Uh, I mean, like a little calculator and like a little game where you could like enter your name and your favorite animal, and it would like print out some message. You know, like the the basic hello world things that people do. Right. Um, and then at some point during my like high school times, um, one of my good friends, he introduced me to JavaScript um, and introduced me to web development. And we started like a club at school uh, focused on like web development and, and like JavaScript programming. Um, and we did that for like, I don't know, a year, two years or something like that. And during that time, like I learned so much from, from him and from like a bunch of other people. Um, and at that point, I really realized, like, like this was what I want to do. Um, and, yeah, then I got into open source at some point. I don't remember how quite, but, like, it happened. And then I started, like, opening issues on projects. Um, and, and like, yeah, that was really it. Like, in the beginning, I started, I, I was just, like, I, when I started working on Dino, um, I didn't, like, do any code contributions or anything like that. Um, it was really triaging issues and, and helping people on discord or actually back then it was still gitter um yeah and then at some point i don't know i, I was always very intimidated by rust and then at some point i started learning rust and then con- like started contributing to dino um yeah yeah that's like the, the, the entire pipeline <laughs> yeah, that, that's great you know it's, it's sometimes very important to have or i've heard of many individuals having such uh, friends who are influential at the very engage and which kind of you know got us interested and then we kind of started excelling at things we do and we found our passion that that's that's awesome to hear and of course yeah it reminded me of windows vista <laughs> that's nice yeah <laughs> yeah it, it was a long time ago i haven't touched yeah. that very long time <laughs> and and the the next question of course was in on in terms of dino right like what what got you interested in dino and and how how do you compare and contrast node and dino and now we have bun and all the interesting stuff happening so what are your thoughts on that yeah so i the i originally got introduced um to dino through the youtube algorithm like ryan gave this talk at um i think it was uh, J- JSConf EU in 2018, I think, um, where he compared some like 
where he was like reflecting on mistakes he think he made with, that he he considered he made with Node and how he wants to fix them. Um, and that was always really that was like very inspirational to me because I like I know of a lot of programmers who don't like to acknowledge their mistakes, right? And they sort of just if somebody points out a mistake or a flaw with their system, they get very defensive about it. And I think it's a it's a really good trait if you can reflect on your um, on your previous work and and like figure out what what went wrong and how you can improve it. And like I, I yeah, I, I really like that. And then I I went to the open source project and like played around with it. I had some experience with JavaScript previously. I had quite a bit of experience actually. Um, yeah, and it was like really awesome having TypeScript built in and and all these like really cool features that like were just completely absent from Node, right? Um, or that were like a complete pain to, to use a Node. And the, the whole simplicity of it, like, yeah, really spoke to me. Um, and I don't know, liked it so much that I stuck around. <laughs> that was actually right in the beginning of the COVID lockdowns as well. So like, I didn't really have much else to do. So it was uh, great timing as well. Nice, yeah. And it's sometimes very hard to explain things that we love, why we love, right? I can understand yeah. that feeling. And, and yeah, and what's your opinion about uh, Bun or uh, you know the Node experience as a whole, or some of the things that you think each of these environment can influence each other to make the entire ecosystem better? Right? Yeah, I, I think it's it's useful to always reflect back on previous work and see what you can improve. And I think this is something like we do continually in Dino, right? Like every release, we we still make changes. We still make add foundational big new features, um, even though the first like big re or the, the 1.0 release was, was like two and a half years ago at this point. Um, because we think like if, if we don't continually improve the system, then ultimately the, the, the reason Dino had to exist in the first place was because Node didn't do this, right? Like Node didn't add big foundational features um, anymore. Um, after, after some point in time, it sort of, like it was sort of maintaining um, features and then catching up with web standards and but it was never really ahead of the curve, right? It was always trailing the curve, and we really want to make sure that Dino stays ahead of the curve rather than like trailing. Um, and yeah, I, I think anything which pushes us to continue doing that, including Bun, is a great development, um, and we're excited to see it, and we're excited to stay ahead of the curve. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. And one of the arguments I uh, commonly hear about Dino is, hey, you go and import um, some of the standard libs or libraries from the URL. And what happens if the URL changes to be to some malicious code? Like That's one of the arguments that I've heard from a uh, few many folks. Uh, what's your opinion about that? Yeah. Um, so the, the thing is, this happens, th this is a valid concern, right? This concern but the, the, the thing is, this concern is not just valid for Dino. This concern is also valid for Node or valid for Go or valid for Rust or valid for any other package ecosystem where you don't, where you maintain, where you import other people's code, right? Um, because you don't have control over the code they publish. Um, and the, like, I, I think sometimes people think that because they're importing from NPM, they somehow are immune to this, but they're not. They're like, Yes, they're importing from a single domain rather than uh, either a bunch of domains or or um, a bunch of packages on a single domain. But like NPM is essentially the same thing as Dino, except there's a single domain and there's just a bunch of little namespaces on that domain, right? So uh, the 
if somebody decides that they're going to unpublish leftpad or they're going to unpublish color.js or they're going to unpublish whatever then they do that and then everything breaks for a couple hours until npm goes and says that no this is too bad and we're going to we're going to like work around it in some way by like restoring this package or something um and Dino can do the exact same. Like we can't do this for you because we trust that you're able to do this yourself by means of the tooling we provide for you to do this, namely import maps um, and caching. We, we we really think that like um, if you if you're concerned about an upstream package going away, you should probably store a local version of this package. Right? This is done in in many many different um, systems uh, dependency vendoring. And Dino has built-in tooling to dependency vendoring for you. You can just call Dino vendor on your project and it's going to create a vendor folder in your project with all of the dependencies pulled down. And then if anything in the upstream changes, you're completely immune to it because you have your own copy. Um, yeah. And this is sort of the same thing that you do with browsers, like with your website. Right? You're, you're never importing directly from NPM when you use Babel or Webpack or whatever to build your site. But instead, you take all this code, you create a local copy. And then you ship that local copy to your to your consumers. Like I think everybody would, um, or a lot of people would would uh, would there be valid concern um, if like you go to your if you go to someone's site and they just pull down a bunch of packages from npm like at at latest or something like that. That's obviously not great. Um, so we have we have ways to solve this, and yeah, we have documentation on how to do it. And I think it, this is really just like a mindset shift that people need to get um but i think uh yeah it's it's not too difficult to do yeah yeah it's, it's interesting and, and i don't want to get into the rabbit hole of security and yeah those were some of the good lessons that npm learned about left pad and all of those and and socket mm -hmm. dev exists for a reason and i would also see how it would evolve on the dino land too that would be interesting and uh I, the, the next topic that i had in my mind is like like what what got you into thc39 and and how has it been here yeah. So actually, the how did I get to C39? It sort of happened by accident. Um, so I, I started, well, Dino is really focused on like keeping ahead of the curve, as I said earlier, right? And part of that is that we really want to stick close to web browsers because we think that web APIs have a very low chance of ever going away because they're so widely used. Um, so wherever possible, we use web APIs. Part of that means that we need to work with um, spec bodies like the W3C or Wartwig um, to make sure that these specs also suit server-side runtimes like Dino. Uh, so part of our part of the work we've been doing is um, talking to maintainers of these specs and opening issues and contributing PRs, um, adding web platform tests, stuff like that. Uh, and that was all really on like the web API side, not the language side. And at some point that turned into, we're doing this for the web stuff, um, but really the foundational thing that we're building on here is is uh the javascript language so we should probably also uh get involved there and right around the same time um we were really struggling with this problem that there's no good way to import WebAssembly modules into javascript and then i i talked to guy bedford and i wrote up a little like proposal i was not a delegate at this point dino had not joined ecma um and then guy bedford and i think it was december last year presented this proposal um with like, and I was there as an invited expert or something. I, I don't even remember at this point. Um, and after that, we realized, yeah, this is really something we need to do. And then it took us like a month and a half and we got a membership. And then we've been a uh, member, like 
we, we have two delegates now, uh, me and Colin, um, which have been there since the start of the year. Yeah, that's awesome. I think just a couple of days back, it did advance to the next stage, and congrats on that. And and Guy Thanks. is a wonderful uh, human being, right? He is, is awesome. He yeah. knows stuff and uh, he has contributed so much to the community. Yeah. It's great to see that. And bouncing back again, probably we should talk about Fresh. It got so many mm-hmm. applause. <laughs> and I did see Alex Russell also tweeting about it, saying that he just got me there when you said this zero config needed. And let, let's talk about Fresh. What What's Fresh about Fresh? Yeah, so, so Fresh is actually same like the same thing so i've said multiple times now dino tries to set ahead of the curve and like part of that also means that we need to make sure our websites stay ahead of the curve and that the developers that use dino can use all of their um yeah like can can make use of modern browser features and make, do make use of and make, should make use of modern browser features and uh none of the frameworks out there are really suited that very well and we decided that we should see if we could build something better um, or build something that yeah, like we think is better. I guess that's very, very, uh, yeah, people can decide that for themselves. Um, and yeah, part of that was fresh. Um, it was it started out as like a tech demo, I guess. And then we started using it, but using it a bunch internally and, and everyone internally really liked it. And then uh, we decided that this was probably something we should pursue. Um, yeah, I, I guess I actually didn't really really say what Fresh is, but Fresh is a web framework uh, for Dino, which ships zero JavaScript to the client by default. And that's this, like, its big standout feature. Awesome. Yeah, I, I remember after, I think, Ex- Express, we had Coa.js for a bit, which tried to do um, maybe using a, a sync and await and, and things like that. Uh, Fresh definitely has a, a new perspective, and I, I would be curious to see on how it evolves and how the community kind of adopts to it. Yeah. And I would like to kind of uh, hear about, um, was there some interesting pattern or learnings that you got out of um, the TC39 meetings? Um, yeah, that's a really great question. <laughs> I, I think I realized how difficult it is to find consensus with like this many people, right? Like I always thought that yes, finding consensus between 50 people is obviously going to be hard. I did not think it was this hard. It's very hard. Um, and there's people pulling you in all directions, right? Like you can never make everyone happy. Uh, you, you try to make like a couple delegates happy who were unhappy with, with something in your proposal earlier. And then someone reaches out to you on Twitter and like has a mob following them which is like no you just made this completely worse right like (laughs) and you really need to balance this and um it's and it also goes the other way sometimes right like some somebody um provides some community feedback and then you try to address this community feedback in some way and then uh, some delegates or maybe some other community feedback from someone else um opposes this at that point and then yeah it's you really have to play like um I don't know, referee almost um, to like try to find the balance between what all the people want. And I, I, I didn't think it was going to be like that. I, I really thought it was more like um, you, yeah, you like you design features and then everybody's going to love your features, right? Like, no, you could like spe- writing your proposals is maybe like 3% of the time you spend being 
the delegates, 97% of the time is convincing people that what you say is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, very, I, I learned that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well put. And it's, it's, it's still super interesting that all of this revolves around consensus and everything is out there, open for feedback. And it's it's really see it's really happy to see how uh, TC thirty nine is is operating and which such smart bunch of folks in the room it's it's always exciting. Yeah. So I was curious to know: uh, Are there any other proposals that you have been working on? We did briefly uh, talk about uh, the VASM part, the import, but uh, are there any other in your mind or in the back in the, in the backlog that you feel it's interesting to propose? Yeah, so I have one other one, which is currently in stage one, which I unfortunately haven't been able to spend much time on recently, um, which is fixing string split behavior in JavaScript. Um, right now, the, the JavaScript string.split method is like completely different from all the other string split methods in literally every other programming language. Like, mm. It does not match any of them. Um, and it's kind of terrible, actually. Uh, like it, it, the, the way it works is not at all useful um, in mm-hmm. in some scenarios. So yeah, I, I'm, I have a proposal to uh, sort of fix that by not quite sure how yet, uh, probably adding a, a second string split method or an options back to the existing split method or something like that. Nice, yeah, I, I, I do remember, I think there was this tweet from Surma who said, hey, look how string split is behaving. And yeah, it's sometimes interesting, right? Some of the tweets can influence a proposal. Some of the times it might be an open discussion or, or a, an interesting pattern we observed or the repetitive things that we are doing can evolve into a proposal and make things uh, easier for all of us. That's, that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like this one specifically really just caught me so off guard. And I think it actually caught a bunch of people off guard. Like when I, I remember when, when I um, gave the, uh, when I like when I proposed it for stage one, um, a couple of meetings ago, like pretty much all the delegates were like, "Wait, what? What is this behavior? I was not aware that this is the behavior we have." Um, which is like it's very gratifying to see that like it's not just me who thinks this is crazy. Um, this is like a, other people also have these concerns. Yeah, the, that's the 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 interesting part of the JavaScript land, right? It's it's somewhere down there, something pops up or be expected to behave in a particular way and all of a sudden it kind of surprises them us and even though there are a lot of folks who have already worked on spec and edited spec for long times and there might be some behavior some edge case that uh, might have slipped and, and that's 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 really part of being human and uh, the, the community kind of takes it in a right spirit and the community kind of uh, you know heads in the right direction to make things better and, and that's that's yeah that's something heartwarming here in, in tc39 <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, we have tons and tons to talk, and I, I, I am trying to keep my you know mind focused specifically towards TC39 and not to you know take uh-huh. a, a tangent <laughs> again. And uh, I always kind of ask this question to uh, the host here on uh, the guest here on what is your uh, favorite proposal and why? Yeah, so I think my favorite proposal right now is. Um, the iterator helpers because I use Rust like every single day, right? And Rust has really fantastic iterators. Um, like the iterators, oh my God, they're so great. They're, they, you, can do, you can map over them, you can collect them, you can filter them, you can do all these things with them. Um, 
And JavaScript like has also has the iterator primitives and even has async iterators. And I think async iterators are like, really cool. Um, but they're, they're not very well integrated into the language. They don't like, yes, you can use them in four weights um, and like four of loops. And that's kind of it. Like there's, there's not, you, you can't like, you don't have a nice map function over them or anything else like that. And uh, iterator helper is just gonna fix that. And I'm very excited. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's a very large proposal and uh, too many folks are interested. And I remember talking about it uh, maybe six years ago, maybe long back when on ES Discuss where folks were saying, hey, maybe Python ha also has some ITER tools which uh, does good stuff. And as you mentioned, Rust is pretty powerful with it. And uh, it would be awesome to see one of those, uh, if not all, at least most of it on, on, yeah. on migrators. And it would be definitely beneficial uh, for a lot of folks. Yeah, yeah. Like just filter. Like even if we just get filter and map and collect, that's all I'm asking for. Everything else <laughs> you can add later. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It it was it was great having you here on uh, TC Thirty Nine S Luca, and definitely we have a lot more to discuss. And I'll I'll tag your Twitter handle on the post uh, here on the podcast, and I let all the audience pester you with with more questions on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much and have a nice day. See you.